You're listening to Car Free Midwest. We're a podcast based in Omaha, Nebraska, exploring the stories, barriers, and joys of getting around the Midwest without a car. Our goal is to build a community around more transportation equity and less car dependency. I'm Sarah Johnson. And I'm Joshua LeBure. And this this is Car Car Free Midwest. Midwest. High five. All right. Yeah, you hear that? That was a virtual high five. Um, Sarah, how are you? Oof, I'm okay. I'm currently watching the snow fly, which I do, depending on the day, enjoy. It's fun to to kind of watch, maybe not so much shovel right now. I have a little bit of a back situation, but uh, not not too bad overall. How about you, Josh? Um, Similar situation, just sitting, watching the snow, editing uh, today's interview with Steven Osberg, um, and... Yeah, I had a bit of a knee problem lately. So, but yesterday was the first day I I went on a three mile walk Hmm. and then I rode the exercise bike and I had no pain except for like a couple points. So I think I'm on the mend. (laughs) That is exciting. I think it's always interesting anytime, you know, us able-bodied folks have some sort of an injury, it really opens up our eyes to what people who don't have always fully functioning bodies, uh, deal with. And so like, I I know we were walking the dogs the other day and there's still ice on sidewalks. And I mean, after the snow, it's going to be horrific, but people still have not shoveled or de-iced their sidewalks. And when you're like limping kind of already because of an injury, let alone like using a mobility device. Yeah. I just can't say it enough. Take care of your sidewalks, which will take care of your neighbors. Yeah. I'm going to have a little call out here because part of my regular running loop, I crossed through on Woolworth right through the field club um, golf course, the country club. And the sidewalk there has so many parts that are just not shoveled like well. And there's just like huge sheets of like ice that are happening. And when I went on my walk the other day, that was actually one of the parts where um, I almost slipped. And it was when my knee was still kind of really hurting and that just like put me in the pain cave a little bit (laughs) that sucks yeah it's a good reminder for everyone to first of all i mean not in that case but if you can shovel a little extra for your neighbors you don't know what they're going through maybe they've got you know some sort of an issue that isn't allowing them to um, rather than to just call the mayor's hotline um take a look at your intersections see if you can help your neighbor If though, in a case like that, um, there's a business or something that isn't taking care of their property, it is okay to call the mayor's hotline, which is 402-444-5555 and let them know the address uh, and the issue. Because I think it is important for everyone to know how much it impacts so many when they just neglect their neighborly duties. Yeah. And I'm also interested to talk about that too. Just the fact of commuting or getting around without a car when you're injured as well. You know, that's Mm. something that us as like, you know, able-bodied folks until it happens, we don't really think about, you know? Exactly. And it's like, you know, you're, you're literally could be one step or one, one moment away from being someone with a disability, you know, we just take our health for granted again, like after all my surgeries and whatnot over the last several years, I've started realizing how much I did take my health for granted. Um, and it's just something that you really, until you have dealt with something that is debilitating, uh, in whatever fashion, you just don't really 
understand it to the fullest degree. And I still, I mean, you know, I bounce back relatively well. Um, but yeah, just, just a lot to consider. And actually kind of a little teaser. I'm excited that we're, we're going to line up an interview with, um, an amazing woman. She goes by accessible 402 if you're on the interwebs, um, but her name's Nancy and she's a wheelchair user and she's agreed to come talk with us about mobility issues in the winter as someone with a disability. So I'm excited to chat with her. But for now, Stephen. Yes. Yeah, so uh, Stephen is, let's have a little introduction to him. So I, I don't actually, kind of like Dewan, I don't know how long I've known Stephen. Um, I do know that I was um, probably first running around with him as far as like mode shift stuff. It always comes back to mode shift or mobility or bike shop. So um, Stephen used to be the vice chair of mode shift Omaha years ago and is just a really smart um, planner. He works for the chamber now with their Connect Go initiative. Um, he worked for the city before that. I mean, we'll get into it in the interview. He'll tell you a little bit about himself. But yeah, just a really smart, even-keeled, um, brilliant guy. Lives in lives in the neighborhood here. I actually, a lot of times when I'm out on my bike, I'll see him walking. So he um, he walks the walk. And I'm, I'm excited that he was able to take some time to chat with us. The survey is um, going to be linked all over the place that we kind of mention a little bit because it is an opportunity for us all to help shape the future of Omaha. So what are the things that kind of stood out for you in this conversation? I like that he talked about connecting neighborhoods because to me, that's what Omaha's about. You know, a bunch of cool little pockets, a bunch of cool little neighborhoods, um, and just having someone that's in the position that he is understanding the importance of connectivity. I mean, it's called connect go, like we get it, but, um, I just was appreciative of the fact that he has lived without a car for a little while. He does have a car now, which no shame, of course. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, I appreciate the perspective of someone who is in the positions to be making some decisions and kind of helping shape the future. And I am also grateful that he's taking data from people, you know, he's not just trying to say, here's what we're going to do without any type of engagement. So I'm excited that he's uh, doing a good job with that. And yeah, I've just always respected Steven. He's, um, I was actually just looking at old city council videos. Uh, and in 2014, there was a little clip. I'll, I'm going to share it with you, Josh. You got to check it out. Maybe I'll share it with all y'all. But um, it was after the uh, bike pedestrian coordinator, Carlos, got fired by the mayor. <clears throat> years ago and mode shift had a rally. We had hundreds of people show up in the rain, biking, walking, rolling, you know, all of it. It's pretty cool. And so after that, we mobilized a pretty big group of folks to go down to city hall to testify in front of council, begging them to not let this position be eliminated. Um, so we've all been kind of saying the same thing for like a long time now, but just hearing him speak then I was like, yes, Steven, that's exact. Like he just is, I don't know, well-spoken, succinct, gets the point across. I'm just grateful for his voice in the fight. Some of the things that stood out for me were a his history of like, you know, riding a bike around the city that, you know, isn't known to be bike friendly. So he knows the struggle a little bit. And so that definitely stood out. And then also just um, the focus that, uh, you know, he talked about connect go with like their survey and really trying to like hear from the community and really looking out to like, how long does it take to get to jobs and having that map that kind of clearly lays it out and, you know, connect go 
isn't all powerful and can't make everything happen, but I appreciate that they're getting the information out there and that they have somebody, um, you know, like Steven, that's uh, running the, running the show a little bit. Um, and hoping that, you know, it's a conduit to keep moving Omaha forward for sure. Yeah. Um, and just like, I mean, that was kind of one of the things I never even really thought about looking at that. Like, you know, their map that shows how many ways of transportation are like half an hour from where the jobs are. Mm-hmm. Um, Mobility is really... accessibility. And I think that's something yeah. that cannot be overstated because that's, it's like you're restricting access to opportunity when you don't, yeah. you know, plan for everyone, car drivers and otherwise. And I, I'm happy that, yeah, he pointed that. Oh, the other thing that I thought was pretty cool is he was talking about traffic patterns and how much the pandemic has um, impacted the ways uh, that people travel through Omaha. And he, he said it used to be like a camel back, like a double hump, you know, yep. a morning commute rush hour and an evening commute rush hour. And that has changed now. And so I'm just wondering how we're going to change to go along with that. And whether or not it will bounce back, I kind of don't think it will in the same way. I, I think it's good that nothing's going to go back to quote unquote normal because normal was not great. So we need to, yeah, I'm not going to say build back better, but it does kind of make sense. Yeah. We need to move on to better instead of just normal. Yep. Um, because I think we forget before this year, before this like, you know, horrendous monster of an authoritarian president was in charge, who's gone now, thank God. And then before this pandemic and stuff, you know, like we forget that things were bad before then, that we had unprecedented amount of inequality. We had massive, uh, um, white supremacy, massive, (laughs) well, yeah, we, we had that for sure. We've always had that. Um, but then also with climate change, you know, this has been, we've barely done anything to curb that even, you know, when uh, we had non-Trump presidents, like he only had four years. This problem has existed for way longer than that. Mm-hmm. Um, That's another position that the mayor cut. We were talking about, you know, the bike ped coordinator. She also got rid of the sustainability office or department within the city. It's like, what? These things are oh, not good. going away. Yeah. Like we need to be putting more resources toward this, not less. Um, so, yeah. I know we're living in an area that's being like decimated by like gnarly floods and Drought. And, you know, yeah, drought, and <laughs> which is like, I think the climate change can only be understood in the terms of like an, a physical manifestation of the dialectic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's like, <laughs> it's just all contradictions. Yeah. I mean, when, you know, with all the wildfires across the frickin' country this year, too, it's like until the, the country is literally on fire, we aren't paying attention. And then I also feel like Omaha, since we're in the middle of the country, we act like we're somehow insulated from this, which is so not true. Yeah. It's like, it, uh, yeah. Just, I mean, I'm from like, uh, you know, seven hours away and, I've had friends who lost houses in, in Colorado from from wildfires, um, which is a huge problem there. And then, you know, the year I moved here was the year we had in a giant flood that like tore communities down and like, they're never coming back and took farmers land and stuff like that. And 
and we talk about as a country that we love farmers and we love uh, democracy and we love all these things, but we don't show it Mm -hmm. (laughs) because we're just paying lip service to it and we're not actually looking at the things that are... um, that are the greatest threat to all of those things. And I think about this pandemic, you know, and it really put in perspective to me, this whole conversation of, um, I mean, just look at the unrest that has happened since the pandemic, you know, and this is like the same thing that they're saying that scientists and stuff have been warning about with, uh, climate wars, you know, like, running out of water, desperate people, you know, this is like, uh, just a small window into what our future is going to be when climate change, uh, wreaks even more havoc than it already has. I think it needs to be part of conversations more frequently at the city level. I mean, I'm not hearing the words climate change. I'm not really hearing a lot of talk about racism. Like there's some big issues that our leaders are not comfortable talking about. And until we confront it, name it, address it, we're not going to get through it. Yeah. That was one of the other things that kind of stuck out. And it's not in anything that Steven said, um, but just in what is able to happen and how quickly things are able to happen is that we need new leadership in the city. And again, that's not Steven's words. These are my words. And uh, we need new leadership. We need new people in office that will actually respond to the multiple crises that we're facing um, as a country, as the human race, <laughs> as uh, the city. you know, a yeah. city, county level, exactly. state level, all of it. Yeah, we all need to get yeah, real because because that's where it starts. It starts down mm-hmm. here, you know, on the ground, being able to, you know, move the needle at all. Um, if we want like the national governments <laughs> to actually like, listen, you know, it has to start in the, in the city. Yeah, in level. our backyard. Um, along those lines, we, uh, as mode shift are having an event on Friday, <clears throat> the 29th, uh, hopefully the snow will be a little bit more manageable by then, but 4 PM on Friday, January 29th, meet a bunch of us mode shifters, um, there was just a huge six-car pileup, massive, dangerous, serious injury crash um, on Dodge last this last week. And um, so we have a new Vision Zero coordinator, which we should probably talk more about that in the next episode. Um, but <clears throat> okay. we're inviting him. We're inviting um, some city leadership. We're inviting the press um, to meet us at the edge of Memorial Park, where University Drive intersects Dodge. So on the north side of Dodge, the west edge of Memorial Park um, for a little event we're calling Walk With Us because we want everyone to recognize what it feels like when you're trying to move down or up Dodge Street without a car. And it's not great, spoiler alert. Um, And with Vision Zero, we are excited and hopeful and ready to hold the city accountable to utilizing this position to its fullest. Yeah, I think Dodge Street out of every city I've been to is one of the worst like examples of a main thoroughfare that I've ever seen in my life. It's gnarly. Yeah. The mayor was just quoted, um, talking about some new software, some new smart technology along Dodge street and kind of did a little bit of like pedestrian shaming. I'm not sure if you heard that. Um, I think I have it written down what she said, but basically she said, uh, pedestrian slow down car traffic, which is like, that's good. We don't need fast cars. Fast cars kill people. 
Um, yeah, so at 90th and Dodge, uh, there's like that's kind of an intersection that's known for backing up a little bit um, because it's a busy intersection for people in all types of transportation, you know, modes. But um, basically, she's like, somebody hits that crosswalk signal, it throws the whole thing off for the whole morning. Like, how nice is that? I don't know. I wish she would recognize that not everybody is just in a dang car in this city. Um, so we are planning to push some crosswalk buttons and cross back and forth on Dodge Street um, to showcase that Dodge isn't just for cars. Anyway, we have a lot of work to do. That's like one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I like could not believe it when I heard that on the news. I was like, oh my goodness, of course she's like shaming anyone that's not in a car. That's pretty on brand. Wow. Yeah. I don't oh, even know what to say to speaking that. Of, speaking oh. of Omaha and not Omaha, I was also glad, um, and I already knew this about Steven since I've known him for a long time, but just having him not be in Omaha for a while, he lived in Minneapolis, which is like, oh, the bike mecca kind of, you know, at least of this kind of region. And so just, I think it's so important to see what is possible elsewhere because then it allows you have to have some more vision for Omaha. And so I'm glad that he has an outside perspective and now can plug in what he learned elsewhere to shift things here. So there's one more thing I want to touch on that is inspired by, you know, this conversation plus a book that I just read called Building the Cycling City. Um, and it is based on, and it is about, you know, we've talked about it with that film. Uh, Why We Ride why we ride yeah about dutch cycling culture and you know that movie really just shows what it's like but this is this book talks about how it happened and one of the inspiring things is that all of this like dutch cycling culture didn't just happen it was really really fought for and there was heavy opposition to it for years before it became ubiquitous so i think that's something that we should keep in mind um you know, as advocates, activists, as people that are just uh, commuters and people that are just out on the street on their bicycles or walking or running or taking the bus or whatever. Or driving. That, that's what I always want to come back to, too. Yeah, like, people on bikes too. will help people in cars. Like, that's crucial for Omaha to understand yeah. in order to get behind it. Sorry. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and the, this didn't just happen. This was fought for, you know, um, even like when we think about like other cities like Minneapolis, like uh, um, wherever else is super bike friendly, Vancouver, Portland. Uh, even Lincoln. Like we don't have to go that yeah, far away to find inspiration. Exactly. Yeah. Even Lincoln. Uh, these places like this stuff was fought for. It was advocated for. And um you know, people made it happen. So we can make it happen here. We just have to like keep pushing and band together. And, and also we need more good people to run for office. And it seems like this year, there's a lot of really good people running. So yeah. Inspiring for sure. So with that, let's uh, move on to our conversation with Steven Osberg. My name is Steven Osberg. Uh, professionally, I work at the Greater Omaha Chamber right now. I'm the director of transportation development there, uh, kind of tasked with leading the development of a new regional transportation strategy. 
looking at all the modes of transportation. Um, but before that, I worked at the city of Omaha in the planning department. And then before that, I was a transportation consultant. Um, and so been kind of in the field for a while, but jumping around from, from sector to sector, always focused on multimodal transportation and really just making Omaha a better place to live. I'm curious to hear a little bit about what attracts you to this line of work and being in the transportation sector in general. Before I went to grad school, I didn't even really know that urban planning existed as a field. And so I, you know, I just worked at a coffee shop, I was kind of, you know, tentatively thinking about going to, to law school. But during that time, I didn't have a car. I was just riding my bike around town because I just, I thought it was fun. And as I was riding around, I, I started to notice that I could feel the neighborhoods in a different kind of way. And I could interact with people in the neighborhoods, like whether they're on their porch or, you know, walking around or riding bikes as well. Even if I wasn't saying hi, it just felt like I had a connection there. And then one day someone left uh, an urban planning journal on one of the tables at the coffee shop, this blue line in Dundee. And as I was cleaning up, I, I started reading it. And before I knew it, I read the whole thing cover to cover, kind of discovered urban planning as a field. But to that point, I was, I was more interested in how to make neighborhoods. And I was thinking about land use and like neighborhood revitalization and things like that. So I went to school for land use, primarily thinking about, you know, how we could kind of have clusters of development, how we could think about, you know, little hubs of community, like the coffee shop functions in a lot of neighborhoods. Um, as, But as I started working on land use, you know, I, I kept thinking back to, well, what about those days riding my bike and, and what did that mean for how I understood the, the city and neighborhoods fitting together? And it's and then you know you quickly realize it's they're inextricably linked land use and transportation and then um, I moved back to Omaha I always planned on moving back went to grad school in Minneapolis um, and I moved back here and and the first job I got ended up being in transportation and that's where I kind of doubled down on on that but um, I kind of started in land use and and kind of accidentally landed in transportation. But now I have the curse where I see only through transportation lenses. So everything is a transportation, you know, problem these days. So I love learning that you literally picked up something from Blue Line and was like, it formed your your path. I didn't know that. That's kind of a, a fun fact. That's that's almost <laughs> like a movie script. I like it. <laughs> yeah, it totally. Yeah. They cut to the coffee shop. He picks up a manual and his life has changed forever. That's funny. <laughs> Nice. Well, I'm glad because you're doing a lot of really good things. I was just wondering if you could kind of compare and contrast your experiences um, while working with the city of Omaha compared to how it has changed now that you're at the chamber. I just feel like a few people I know used to work at the city got a little bit frustrated with the lack of progress. And then after they left, they found it to be a little bit more progressive. You know, Not to frame it like that intentionally, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, my, my take on my time at the city was I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, cool. I felt like I had some opportunities to kind of work on some cool projects. I think I was in a unique role in some of those ways. So, I, you know, I got to work on the Complete Streets work quite a bit there, um, but then really help like launch the transit-oriented development work, 
which I think is really important. And, you know, that's the idea of having denser development on transit corridors and kind of tying land use to transit um, very explicitly and wholeheartedly. And I had a lot of support on that front. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I just, I enjoyed having kind of like, I work for the city. I can, you know, be kind of like a, a civil servant in that way. So I, I kind of left to go to the chamber because I saw this um, opportunity arise to develop this new regional transportation plan. Um, in fact, I, I passed on the job opportunity to a few other people because when I first saw it listed, because I had no intention of going anywhere. But the more I started thinking about it and the more I started understanding, you know, what the role was or what it could be and what the chamber intended to do through some partnerships, I decided to jump ship and and kind of uh, move over. And, you know, I, I'm having a great time. I, I, I'm enjoying my time here just as much, if not more, you know, in a lot of ways, just um, building partnerships and trying to move these things forward is kind of the name of the game. You know, obviously at the chamber, we don't, you know, at the end of the day, we don't operate public transit or build roads or anything like that. Like it's, it's really on partnerships and, and trying to get people to come together and think about like, what are the real long-term goals that we have? And then how do we orient our work towards that? So I, I've, I enjoyed work on at the city and I enjoy it where I am now both. And I don't really, um, yeah, that's how I feel. Perfect. Can we talk a little bit about what connect go is and yeah, just what that program is, just kind of paint us a picture of it. So connect go, uh, it's really a partnership at its core. And the whole idea is, um, it's, it's the Greater Omaha Chamber coming together with MAPA, the regional planning body that kind of distributes all of the, uh, uh, spilled water all over my desk. Oh, no. Do you need to, we can totally pause if you need to handle <laughs> more, that flood. Give me one second here. Yeah, no rush. I'm just going to grab the towel. <laughs> <laughs> so Connect Go at, at its core is really, it's a partnership between a bunch of different entities. Um, the Greater Omaha Chamber kind of heading it up, but in close um, partnership with MAPA, the regional planning body that distributes all the transportation dollars um, that we get from the federal government. Um, uh, Metro Smart Cities, which is kind of a coalition looking at ways of, of using newer technology to solve transportation problems. And then um, uh, Metro Transit. And so we're kind of come, come together. And the whole idea is like, there's a lot of momentum that we've been in in the past where of just kind of addressing little problems as they arise. And we want to take a step back and really understand like what are our real challenges as a region beyond just one city and then how can we address that um, through transportation knowing that most of these challenges aren't transportation they can't be solved only by transportation but um, really trying to you know take a holistic view of what we're doing and, and align our efforts with everyone else's efforts um, on these approaches. And so what we kind of realized, the biggest issues that we've had, um, that we have in our region relate to, uh, you know, racial inequities, um, fragmentation, as we try to like, um, approach issues that are regional scale, um, but individual cities trying to do that, you know, we have, we've got city boundaries, county boundaries, and estate boundary, 
in our metro area that makes us solving some of these challenges hard. We've got long-term workforce issues where we just, you know, we need more people here. We've got very low unemployment rates typically. Um, a little bit different with COVID, but it's still relatively low compared to other places in the country. And that means it's hard for businesses to grow. It's hard to attract new businesses here if we don't have that kind of uh, that workforce that's ready to go and, and available for us. And so we need to figure out how to address that. Um, we've got a mismatch kind of between the areas of highest unemployment and where we're seeing the areas of highest job growth. Um, you know, it's kind of issues related to that that we would like to address rather than, you know, simply solving, you know, congestion on a street or something like that. Like that's ultimately not our goal. Right. And so um, what does that mean from a transportation standpoint for us? Well, it means like what can we do to improve quality of life, which means maybe reducing commute times for people. Maybe that means um, doing things to make uh, to build neighborhoods that people want to live in, um, you know, to help attract and retain talent through that way. And so what do people want from a transportation standpoint for that? How do we kind of, uh, you know, change our development patterns so that, you know, we work on transportation and part of that's moving people from point A to point B in a variety of different ways, but that also can mean to remove points A and B closer together uh, on that front. Um, it means a lot of different things. We're also trying to, you know, keep up with our failing infrastructure, though. That and how can we uh, make sure, you know, we're filling those potholes and all of that. Which we've taken steps in the last couple of years to do that, but we have a ways to go. Yeah, I'm curious about. I'm looking at the goals right now on on the um, website, and number one is access to opportunity. And one of the things we talk a lot about on this podcast specifically is. Um, you know, mobility equity, you know, and what kind of role can, you know, a partnership like uh, Connect Go have in, in making a city more equitable for people of different income levels and, you know, races and gender and all those things? Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that is the central goal of what we're, we're trying to do here. And so, there's a few ways to look at that. One of those is just thinking about, you know, can people get where they need to go? You know, most specifically by any, by whatever mode is available to them. And so, you know, to accomplish that, there's, there's a new kind of uh, transportation analysis that we've been looking at, right? And so a more traditional approach would be to look at something called level of service, where it's some kind of, it's a rudimentary measure of congestion on a street, automobile congestion. And the whole idea there is like try to get cars to have move towards a free flow kind of environment, basically move more cars faster with that is the goal in short. But we were kind of looking at access instead. And so for us, it's like, okay, access means how many places can you access, get to for some cost. And we usually use the cost of time. And so we try to figure out, okay, how many jobs can you get to we looked at how many jobs can you get to by a number of different modes in a half hour and we started with driving we kind of have this spectrum right and it's like um you know if you can if you can't reach very many jobs uh it's it's green and then it kind of goes to yellow you know if you're in an area that you can reach a lot of jobs 
um, and it's red if you live in an area, if you're looking at a map where you can reach a lot of jobs. We pulled up the map for driving and it's, it's red. It's the entire thing is red because you can reach pretty much every job in the whole metro area from anywhere in a half hour of driving. You flip that to public transit and there is nowhere that's red, actually. That's that highest number of jobs that you can get to. Um, these maps are available, by the way, in the in the um, map of long-range transportation plan, if you wanted to look at that. But um, there's nowhere that you can reach that many jobs um, with public transit. The number is really a lot smaller, partially because you know transit doesn't run everywhere, partially because there are a lot of routes where buses aren't running frequently. Um, and sometimes it's because you can't, you just can't walk from the stop to where, where the job or whatever actually is. We also look at that for educational institutions, say universities, high schools even, and all of that. And you just see this, this huge mismatch you know, or this huge like, you know, gap between what you, where you can get if you drive and you can afford a car and all of that um, versus if you're trying to take transit or you're trying to bike or walk. And so we're trying to figure out how to address that again, both by providing, you know, working with local transit agency, Metro Transit, to provide better transit service. Um, you know, whether that means more frequent routes, um, you know, better information out there about how to get, how to use the transit service, better stops, um, better sidewalks around the stations to make it easier to walk there. Um, or to bike there, um, bike facilities around the stations. Um, but then also looking at, are, are there employer-based solutions to, you know, along the lines of something called transportation demand management, where you maybe have an employer help set up a van pool program or a carpool or whatever. I mean, there are some places where there are a lot of jobs clustered that we just, it's not gonna work to run traditional public transit out there because it's low density all around it. You know, you kind of need density. You need a lot of, you need a lot of possible destinations along a corridor for transit to work in that kind of a way. Um, and so things like Vanpool, these other kind of employer-based solutions might work better in those spots. And so we're trying to help, we're working with MAPA to kind of lift those up uh, in, in a number of different ways. Um, but I also think about the ways that we deliver projects, you know, and so from an equity standpoint as well, and this also hits our workforce, you know, we're short on workers kind of in every industry for the most part. And so that comes down to building roads or trails or sidewalks too, you know, or driving buses, or mechanics or whatever. But on that, on that front of construction, you know, okay, are there ways that we can support smaller businesses who maybe aren't used to working uh, with the public works departments around the region and the bureaucracy of that and help them through the process of, of beginning to work there. And then also learning how to do more complex kind of construction jobs related to streets and whatnot. The idea is conveniently, you know, if we want more walkable city or more walkable region, want more trails and sidewalks well those are easier to build they're smaller scale get people get small and emerging businesses to start there start their interactions with the cities you know gain their competence build their competence up and then suddenly they can take on these bigger projects too and so that's like another way of looking at um, I think addressing inequities through 
transportation. We have been seeing a lot of um, requests to take the survey. So I'm just wondering if you could kind of briefly tell us, um, yeah, how that's going, what type of feedback you're getting, what you're, what you're seeing so far. Yeah, we'd love to. I mean, so a big part of this is trying to, you know, be transparent and get input from people as much as we can. Um, the earlier surveys that we did, they kind of led to our goals and principles uh, document. I kind of got in front of me here somewhere. We see it. Anyway, <laughs> um, that, that one we got about 3,300 responses, um, pretty wide ranging um, geographically and, and backgrounds on that. And that kind of helped us figure out, okay, what are our big goals? And now um, we started launch, we launched into the next phase where we tried to, okay, say, these are our goals, you know, whether it's access to opportunity, economic growth, talent, attraction, retention, or stewardship of the transportation system. What does that mean from a transportation perspective? And right as we made that transition is when COVID hit. And so we weren't able to kind of do as much engagement um, at that point. Uh, was we tried to pivot to what like a virtual environment, but also we didn't really think that people wanted to talk about transportation that might not be on the top of everyone's minds. We had a lot of other things um, that we needed to be talking about as a as a community, and so you know we continued to work in the background on some technical analysis, but now we're back out. We have a survey out now. We've got a couple thousand responses so far in this phase, and this is basically saying. Um, you know, these are the these are the strategies we list out the strategies for each mode of transportation um, that we think we'd like to implement. <clears throat> and we're getting people's feedback on them to figure out, okay, does this make sense? What do people think? Do people understand what they are? Um, we've got the survey open for another month. We decided to leave it open until February 12th. And um, so hoping to get as many as we can. It's always a challenge um, to make sure though that the survey you know, responses, the, the response group is representative of the broader community, right? And so we need, you know, a lot of people to take it, but we also want to make sure that the demographics align with who actually lives here in the region. And so, um, you know, we're trying to do a little bit of extra push right now um, to really target, I guess, people of color or people who primarily take public transit right now. We'd like everyone to take the survey, but that's kind of where we're putting our, our muscle right now is to try to like um, get responses there, make sure that we're, we're really hearing everything. And then the next step is um, we'll be releasing, you know, kind of like finalizing the, the plan document, which will be somewhat broad vision of what we're trying to do, but with very specific actionable next steps, um, which should be uh, pretty exciting because we've got we've got a lot coming down the pike here. So that is exciting. Just turning plans into action is something that is sometimes not, you know, you don't you see it in your lifetime. So I guess <laughs> do you feel like what we're seeing? Yeah, it is. I'm not always, you know, the most patient of humans. Do you feel like the the information that you're gathering now, and you say that there's going to be action plans, is that going to be short term and long term, or what? Can you kind of give us any? without spoiling it too much, I know. Before yeah, short term and long term. I'd say there's actually some parts of it that we'll see um, just in the next few months implemented already. And then some of the projects, you know, are taking another level of engineering uh, to kind of get to um, the point where we could do some kind of construction. And then some things were 
talking about, you know, a decade out or so, or maybe even more, because when you think about transit and that piece in particular, as I was saying it, you really need kind of like density along the transit corridor to make that work. And so if we have a vision for a broad, you know, region-wide high-frequency transit network, that only works if if there's land use that supports that, you know, it's not going to make sense for us to, you know, run a bus, you know, into the middle of a cornfield every 10 minutes, you know, and, and then wait 15 years for development to catch up. I mean, that's just not an option. It's not a good idea. So, and it's not possible. So it's, um, it's trying to figure out, okay, how can we set the stage as well for some of these long-term things where we, we see, uh, uh, we can actually anticipate like big shifts like that, but with very immediate um, impacts as well. So, like I said, I think we'll we'll see stuff in just the next couple of months. Some of the first implementation phases. Awesome. I have speaking of land use and development and relationships. Um, I was part of a little chat this morning via Zoom, of course, uh, with the folks from Lockwood Development who are doing the Crossroads project. And um, it was a pretty enlightening conversation. Um, and I'm just wondering if you as the chamber have, like what type of partnerships do you have with developers? Because I really, um, from, from watching the planning board meeting where they presented the plan and from talking with them this morning, um, from my perspective, they're not really planning for bikes too much yet. So I just didn't know if you have reached out to them or if you if that's something that the chamber does is um, chat with developers while they're in the planning phase to make sure that they understand that not only is there, you know, a handful of people maybe bugging them, but also data to, to support the fact that people will be arriving by bike more and more into the future. Yeah, and I was going to piggyback on that a little bit too, because I'm looking at like, you know, goal number three, the economic growth you know, aspect. And there's so many examples of like, you know, Dutch cities and even like New York and Portland and then places in Canada, like Vancouver, where when they make places way more walkable and, uh, places more able to get to by bicycle and stuff, they see huge growth and like, you know, walk-in traffic and stuff like that. Is that something that's on the radar as well? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, to answer the first question um, first, uh, we work really closely with a bunch of different developers, um, typically, you know, as as developers want to. Um, we partnered with the city to kind of host a series of uh, meetings so developers could learn more about transit-oriented development and give their input as that policy was made up. And they were very well attended um, a lot of energy and excitement, I think, around that. Um, we also sometimes work on specific projects, um, but we're definitely not involved with, with everything all the time on that front. Um, but we've got great relationships on that. And I think that we, you know, definitely are aware of the research out there about, you know, high quality protected bike facilities on roads and how that can, um, increase the economic returns for businesses on those corridors. Same with dedicated transit routes, you know, that we've seen in some cities like Toronto or whatever, or New York um, for that matter. And so I think that's definitely kind of a part of what we're trying to look at here. 
especially as we kind of look at areas that are like already at least somewhat walkable. And so thinking about like downtown and midtown, those are areas where um, I think we've got a lot of opportunity to kind of use to kind of reimagine the street system, especially downtown where we, everyone agrees that every street is over, is over, I mean, is overbuilt, right? For the current level of capacity or the current level of traffic. And so we can kind of reimagine the way that we're doing those streets uh, and use, you know, maybe convert some of the one ways to two ways, add in a nice, you know, network of bike facilities, expand pedestrian opportunities. I mean, that's, the kind of thing that we're, we're moving towards. And so, you know, I'm excited about all of that. And I think there's a lot of excitement from really, you know, the business owners and from everyone on our team for that kind of a thing. But not Lockwood specifically? I haven't worked with them at all. So I guess I just don't know. Okay. I might connect you to them because they um, were pretty open to thinking more um, thoroughly about bike walk transit stuff um, and it it just seems like maybe a good opportunity so I might see if you'd be open to helping them understand some some again opportunities it really I, I think there's so much potential um, especially if we're giving them 80 million in TIF uh, incentives that it really needs to serve everyone and not just those arriving via car but yeah okay cool yeah I'd love to talk to you then and I was thinking about, this is probably not going to make it in the podcast, but I was thinking about like Times Square today and just, you know, uh, old market and like, why are cars even allowed in the old market? Like it should just be <laughs> all walking. <laughs> anyway, that was just a thought I had yeah. today. <laughs> well, we say we already closed it. I mean, historically it was closed down regularly for the summer arts festival and they used to have it in the old market. And then now we close it down in the summer every week for at least part of it for the farmer's market and all of that. And I think that, yeah, looking for more opportunities to kind of pedestrianize spaces, even if just temporarily is, is definitely a strategy worth looking at, especially during COVID when we're all trying to find ways to kind of distance and have more, um, you know, circulation of air around us all the time. I think that's, I mean, I think those are key parts of what we need to do and what people want to see in the city. Yes, along those lines, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I've seen Omaha do anything in response to COVID as far as like open streets type stuff, slow streets, safe streets. You know, you're seeing countless communities globally react in really um, swift and meaningful ways to create more space for people to be outside. Am I missing something that Omaha didn't get the memo that that's a good idea? Or can you can you shed any insight on that? But tell uh, me what you know, please, because it's so frustrating. You know, it's like all the data shows, hey, this is people, the trail use is way up. People are begging for this. We know people are driving less to work. People are trying to be outside more. And I just feel like it's that game that we see a lot of times within the city of not it it's like oh no we're not doing it so and so should be doing it oh that's so and so nope we're not doing it they should be doing it. and i just i'm really wondering if there's a way that we can all like come together as a community and say hey this is an important thing that we need to all work together and actually accomplish something because i'm really frustrated that i haven't seen any movement in that arena well i think there's a couple points to consider with that that are kind of tough and one of them is that 
you know, there's a lot going on and we are at working at capacity in a lot of ways. And so it's tough for people to kind of like, okay, if this is a temporary environment, temporary situation, I think it's tough for a lot of the folks to kind of shift quickly to try to do, put together a project kind of from scratch. And then, especially if they think that they might have to pull it out um, at some point later. So I think the approach here has been more like, let's kind of really keep an eye on what's going on and collect the data. Again, the trail use is way up, um, you know, across the board, I mean, like way up, but uh, bike share use is way up. We've definitely seen even more so that there's excess capacity on those downtown streets. And so can we, I think there's a more than ever a willingness to kind of look at those streets and rethinking how they're, how they're used. But there's also a concern of what happens when everyone comes back and is, are we shooting ourselves in the foot in kind of a way, so. What about projects that have been planned for a long time? I'm thinking maybe like the Harney Street cycle track. That's something that we've been talking about for years um, and planning for years and still not building for years. And so would that, again, sorry, you're on the spot here. So I'm just uh, having a lot of feelings right now about lack of, of action. Um, but again, other, other cities, you know, there's a plan maybe, and then the red tape kind of gets pulled back because we realize that we're in the midst of a pandemic and now is the time to act. And I, I guess, so it just feels like the culture of Omaha is wait and see, collect the data, let's call it a pilot. And I just don't understand why Omaha is so different from so many of these other places that maybe aren't, you know, bike cities to begin with, but they're taking this as an opportunity. And I don't know. You think it really is just lack of capacity? We're all I overworked? I think it's, uh, I don't want to just say overworked, but I think it is a lack of capacity to kind of do projects quickly in that kind of a way or to pivot quickly. Um, I think that's a big part of it. And I do think that there's a, you know, kind of a, let's be careful mentality here and not move quickly for these, you know, these moments. Um, you know, that project that you mentioned, the Harney Street bikeway, was identified as a, as a smart cities pilot project. Um, as far as I know, it's still moving ahead um, just fine. I think that um, we'll probably see that very soon here in the next few months as well. So um, I'm excited to see that. I just heard from a, a we had a mode shift um, coffee chat the other day, and we talked about it a little bit. Um, because Cami Watkins, who's running for District 3, was our guest, and she lives on Harney Street, and so we were talking a little bit about it, and Julie Harris of Bike Walk Nebraska was also on the call, and I guess they only got one response to their RFP, and it was too much money, so now they're sending the project out again for bids, so it is slower than slow. I mean, last, I actually, I think it was about this time last year when the mayor um, said that it was, it was hopefully moving ahead and I know COVID happened. Um, but I just feel like all of this waiting and all of this planning and all of these entities attempting to collaborate and it's still just going to be a pilot project. I guess maybe another question I have is what pilot project in Omaha have you seen that has been successful? that has gone from pilot to permanent? Well, I don't know if I can speak to the pilot piece in general, but I think that, you know, I mean, that bikeway piece, it's all funded through private dollars. The bids came in high. 
um, they kind of repackaged it and, and sent it out in a, an environment that's supposed to be a little bit better. And I think they've already gotten some interest that and some early, you know, um, word that the pricing should be better. So I, I think that project will move forward. I think, I mean, the real thing is infrastructure projects. There are some highlighted that move quickly, but the vast majority of them just take forever. And they, and that's true a lot of places, you know, um, for instance, I mean, this is a huge project, but the first light rail line that went in in the Twin Cities, you know, what's now, or the, I guess it's now called the Blue Line, but it was the Hiawatha Line. It took 40 years from the time that they started working on it to the time that it opened up. And obviously that's, you know, a different scale. But Thank I guess I'm trying to say that. <laughs> yeah. So like, we're talking about a bike lane. <laughs> they take a long time. Yeah, I know. I mean, everything everything takes longer than you than you want it to take in a way so i agree it gets it gets kind of frustrating um but it is what it is we're in work at the, at the well i'm curious yeah. we keep we keep um you know mentioning covid and i'm curious you know from your end and the work that you do you know we're hearing about a lot of cities uh experiencing you know, huge amounts of budget deficit and stuff like that because of, you know, obvious economic troubles. And also when it comes to public transportation specifically, you know, like ridership is way down. And um, because of those reasons of people not wanting to crowd in buses and stuff like that, um, how is that affecting Omaha? What have you seen and, and what challenges are we facing because of all this? Undoubtedly, bus ridership is down, right? And so, as I mentioned earlier, trail use is way up, biking is way up, walking is way up, transit use is down, and it's down about 50%. And it came back, it's come back a little bit since April or so when it was at its lowest, but hasn't come back a ton. Um, and so that's gonna be a challenge going forward. In a lot of ways, I think that's related to people not wanting to be you know, in close proximity to each other. But I think that even the bigger piece is probably so many people working from home um, and that a lot of people rely on that for a commute to an office. And if they're not commuting to the office anymore, they're not gonna ride the bus. Um, on automobile traffic, um, it's been interesting because it dropped also about to half, but it's slowly kind of come back up um, almost to where it was pre-pandemic, but the, the patterns have shifted pretty dramatically. So it used to be that you'd see kind of, like if you looked at a graph of the a line chart of the traffic volumes for the day, it kind of looked like a camel's back with two humps. And so the first hump would be the morning peak and then it would kind of low, get lower and then you'd have the afternoon peak and then it would trail off. Um, what we're seeing now though, is that there's no morning peak anymore. It just kind of like comes up and then it just kind of keeps gradually rising till the afternoon peak and then it, it drops off. And that's kind of, again, reflecting that a lot of the trips aren't people driving to an office at the same time of the day, every day. There are people doing other types of errands or maybe they're um, taking advantage of just more flexible schedules and going in later and all of that. Um, and so it's, it's just kind of fascinating you know, we, we design a lot of these systems for those peaks. And when we don't have one of them, that also, you know, if that ends up being a long-term trend, 
which we don't know yet, um, really opens up a lot of opportunities to rethink portions of the transportation system. You know, I'm confident that the transit ridership will bounce back, especially as we see more improvements there um, to service. Um, but it's just, you know, a question of how long is it going to take for all of that to happen? And then the other challenge, I mean, this kind of goes back to the question about how projects take a long time or maybe there's some uncertainty right now. It does, COVID certainly hit to budgets and it introduces a lot of uncertainty, um, you know, and it's, it's what's going on this year with, you know, sales tax and things like that, um, you know, and, and thankfully we can collect that for online purchases now. It's really kind of helping as people have shifted to purchasing things online or in COVID, but um, what's going to happen, you know, with, with property taxes, if people are tied on money next year and things like that, you know, those are all uncertainties. And so we got to kind of um, wait to see how it kind of pans out in a way. What do you think that like regular people, like maybe people that are listening or, you know, even just people like, you know, Sarah is very active, but um, you know, what can people like us do to kind of, you know, make sure that maybe the city knows that there is a um, want and a need for that in an effective way? Well, I think the first thing um, that people can do to kind of share their thoughts would be to take our survey, um, survey.connectgo.org. Um, it's available in Spanish as well. And I think that that's kind of, I mean, this is kind of like one of those opportunities uh, where we're trying to get people's feedback and assemble it in a way that we can tell the story, right? So it's not just kind of one-off voices, but it's kind of a collective, a collection of people's perspectives. Um, I think we're also going to see more engagement from uh, Metro Transit here on some work that they're doing coming out of this. And so there'll be opportunities there. Um, and so, and then another thing is to just, you know, as much as you can try to do do like live the the life that you want to live in in that sense of you know if you want to see more biking facilities bike more now if possible and i know that's not workable for everyone but if you want better transit ride the tra ride transit more you know the more ridership we have the more we can uh justify more improvements so it's that's kind of a big part of it but right now i mean i think that we really are out there trying to get people's voices. And before COVID, I mean, we were really, we were holding a lot of workshops and focus groups around the whole region, trying to get people's um, perspectives on these things. Um, again, to kind of pull it all together and, and share it collectively. And I think that's kind of the role that we can play. I was just gonna say, as far as more ways to get involved and help put pressure on folks that are making decisions. Um, I got a plug mode shift Omaha. Uh, and actually, Stephen, you were a board member for a while with mode shift. Um, so I think that is a way, you know, we're trying to grow our numbers so that when we say, you know, mode shift supports XYZ, it's a big contingency. So that's another thing that um, hopefully everybody who's interested in this type of stuff um, gets involved with mode shift and we have a walkability team and a bike team and a transit team and we're working on a CIP team and yeah there's a lot of a lot of good stuff going on there um bike walk Nebraska is another state level org trying to do some good work but Stephen I did just want to say thank you for doing a good job with engagement because um a lot of times you know you feel like stuff kind of just pops up and there wasn't really much of a community conversation and 
I guess I just wanted to say thank you for your efforts because it's it's clear that you do care about hearing from people and I think that that starts everything off on a on a good foot when you feel um, like you're included in in the conversation so you're doing a great job there I think. Well thanks we try I mean we can always do better I know so um, but we take the steps we can in the right direction. I am curious the first time I heard about Connect Go and heard you speak uh, was specifically at a screening of a film called autonomous and i do kind of want to touch on a little bit we don't have to get into it too much but i'm just curious like what you feel like the role of like autonomous vehicles in the future could play on a city just you know in the yeah i'm just kind of curious about touching on that a little bit Um, because i know as cyclists you know it's a little scary because i think right now you know there is some problems with the cameras recognizing cyclists and stuff like that. Um, but at the same time, you know, possibly if they get the technology right, you know, it could be cool to not have people texting and driving and running into cyclists and being drunk and running into cyclists. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm kind of curious a little bit about, you know, just touching on that a little bit. Yeah. The future of transportation is going to be kind of wild. I think and it's going to end up being, uh, a whole mix of a lot of different ways of people of people getting around. Um, autonomous vehicles, self-driving vehicles, and then we always hear they're right around the corner, or we always hear, but then we always hear also like, oh, they're just 10 years away. And then, you know, five years later, they're just 10 years away. And then five years later, 10 years away. So it sounds like bike lanes in Omaha. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they're, they're continuing to, to progress, of course, you know, and I think that we're going to see um, more and more of them. I mean, of course, we see Tesla to a certain degree trying to do what they can, you know, calling it autopilot, even though it's not quite there. Um, we're already seeing delivery vehicles out there operating on their own, uh, more and more of them, both like small ones that try to take, you know, go on the sidewalk um, or larger ones that go in the, in the road. Um, that Kroger, for instance, um, is is using to deliver groceries in some markets like Houston. Um, and I think that kind of serves an interesting role, especially as more people continue to order things online, even ordering local things online, um, particularly food, um, I, I suppose. Um, the interesting thing, though, is, is city life and what this looks like. I mean, Every study that's been done where they try to understand like what the use of self-driving cars means for automobile traffic volumes, uh, kind of every study paints a pretty nasty picture of what the future looks like if we only rely on on those to get around. Um, essentially, people you know will drive. There'll be a lot more cars on the road. Um, there was one study where uh, I think it was out of Berkeley. And they paid people to um, participate in the study and they got basically a chauffeur and they could chauffeur around. And the whole idea was like this chauffeur and car would be the equivalent of a self-driving car and people could do whatever they wanted in the car. And they found that the people who had that option were, you know, it was something like twice as many trips as they were taking or something like that. And so suddenly you have more vehicles on the road because people are taking more trips. Maybe you've got kids or older people who can't drive also on the roads you've got cars if i'm assuming that we won't not everyone will own these things that will be kind of you know some kind of like lyft uber taxi kind of system well then you've got ones that are driving around empty 
too. We've already seen what you know Lyft and Uber vehicles driving around empty do to dense urban you know hubs. Um, New York City, for instance, I think they estimated like a huge proportion of the cars on the road are empty Lyft and Uber um, driver driving driven cars. And so, you know, you kind of run into this fundamental like geometry problem when you think about denser areas and the places where people really want to be and hang out and interact, where if everyone has their own vehicle, it, it just it ends up being all the congested mess and people can't get around and anything like that. Um, especially when you add in the uncertainty, like in those areas, you have more people walking, more people riding bikes. Self-driving cars are supposed to be extra safe, you know, around people walking and riding bikes. And we know that already that's a problem. They can't sense people, you know, as well as they ought to, but that's going to mean that they're going to be crawling through these these areas, you know, as people can basically just cross the street in front of these things and they'll stop. So ultimately, we got to remember that um, self-driving technology, automated technology also works for shared vehicles like buses and, and trains and, and especially like transit where it's a fixed route. And basically, you know, like you already know where the vehicle is going to run. It runs in a straight line, makes these stops at a regular, you know, interval. Like that's the easiest um, spot where we could probably expect these in the, in, the, in the city. And it could be helpful. You know, the biggest cost of providing transit service is the driver. And so if we want to have fast frequent transit service, perhaps, you know, dedicated lanes with self-driving buses is going to be some kind of option um, that we could see. We've already seen some places adopt self-driving trains, um, you know, especially in other countries, but um, self-driving buses, I think, are coming, you know, and they, they could have some of the same challenges, of course, in recognizing people on bikes. Um, but there's just a lot of uncertainty, but we just have to remember, you know, it's not like self, the arrival of self-driving cars and individual car, like people using individual cars like they do now, but they just self-drive, like that's not a solution to our mobility challenges or our land use challenges um, for that matter. So I think it's it's gonna be interesting to see how it all plays out. Um, but in the, in the shorter term too, I think it'll be helpful for freight movement um, on the interstate system in particular. Um, in the near term, I think you could start to see vehicles platoon where you have you know, a driver in the front semi and then one or two behind them or even more where there's no driver in there at all, or the driver can be sleeping or whatever. And suddenly you have, you know, if we have a dry, driver shortage um, for those kind of long haul trips, well, maybe we can support it through these automated trucks, you know, operating in places where you don't have people walking or riding bikes, you don't have those challenges. And then you could have smaller vehicles kind of do the last mile delivery um, from distribution centers. So it's, there's a lot of options and opportunities there, but um, sometimes it gets brought up as kind of a panacea and it's like, that's gonna, you know, there's no reason to invest in transit or anything. That's, you know, self-driving cars are the future. And it's like, they probably are the future, but they're a part of it, you know, the 
the real future is a greater mix. So speaking of technology, with the rise of like e-bikes and stuff like that, what role do bicycles play in the future of cycling in Oma- or in transportation in Omaha? Well, I've noticed even this winter, I mean, every day I see more and more people riding their bikes out on the streets. Um, you know, I used to think, yeah, I mean, it just seems like more and more people are out there every day. Um, of course, the arrival of electric bikes is a game changer, um, especially for an area with with hills or that you know we don't have a lot of on street bike facilities and things like that. So you, you can be a little more comfortable and confident riding with cars driving if you can go a little faster. Um, I think they're really important, and everywhere that we've seen them deployed, they you know, people end up um, using them to replace trips where they would have driven a car in the past. Um, you know, anecdotally, personally, every time I've had someone, I'm always like checking out a, a B-cycle bike and be like, hey, check this out. Have you ever been on an electric bike? And to the person, when, when people sit on the bike and push on the pedal for the first time and they feel that little extra kick, there's just a like ear-to-ear grin on, on people's faces, you know, because they're fun. Like they're, they're fun. And I think they're very helpful. And I think there's a lot of potential there. I'd like to find ways to promote uh, their use more. Awesome. That's what I think, you know, we're talking about autonomous vehicles and bicycles. They're kind of like, feel like almost two opposites, but I think what it comes down to is again, like land use. If everyone's in a car, whether or not they're driving it or a robot's driving it, that's still use of space that probably isn't the wisest use of space. Um, and then you think about the little bicycle, which is has so much potential and doesn't take up that much space and doesn't destroy our roads the same way that the cars do. Uh, I also get very excited, as you all know, about electric bicycles and that smile factor, Stephen, that's one of the things I miss the most at the shop is like sending people out on e-bike rides and having them come back literally giggling because they cannot believe what they just experienced. So I think a lot of all of what we're talking to about comes down to kind of incentivizing and disincentivizing. So I would, I'd love to just see ways that we could, you know, an e-bike tax credit uh, would be amazing or any, any type of thing where we can, aside from protected infrastructure, um, but incentivize people trying to get on bikes more and not relying on their cars so heavily. But as long as cars are the easiest for a lot of folks, that's, that's going to be, I think, unfortunately, what we're going to see still too much of, but I'm excited about the work that you're doing and I'm hopeful for the future and talking to, to folks like you who are putting in the good work helps, helps make me think I can stay in Omaha. But I know we're almost to the, to the end of our time here. So I don't know if there's any, any final thoughts or anything that we didn't quiz you about that you wanna make sure folks are aware of. The work you're doing with this show and everything. And- I always, you know, I appreciate every opportunity to kind of get the word out of, of what we're trying to do, um, what we're trying to work on, because we really do want everyone's voice in, in this process. And so again, uh, survey.connectgo.org is where the survey is. Um, but yeah, just, I guess the, the big thing is just, you know, we have a lot of choices to make as a community when it comes to how we invest our energy, our resources, our money, and we should make sure that everything we're doing kind of helps us accomplish like our broader community goals. And we don't just get stuck in the rut of, you know, going where the momentum is or, or doing what is um, routine. But, you know, we need to continually reevaluate what are the big challenges and how can we try to 
fix those. And if we do that, we'll be successful. Um, I just appreciate, yeah, you coming on and, and being able to talk to you about all this stuff. And, you know, part of this is like me understanding this like city and stuff a little bit more. And, um, yeah, I just appreciate you taking the time to explain connect go and, and talk about Omaha. Appreciate it. Well, that was our conversation with Steven Osberg. Um, yeah, I'm just so thankful he came on. That was a good conversation. Absolutely. Thanks again, Stephen. We'll be here every other week with interviews, topics, and documentary pieces covering all things transportation. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Carfree Midwest or visit us at carfreemidwest.com. So go ahead and subscribe now to Car Free Midwest wherever you listen to podcasts and support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Midwest. Yeah, and just to hammer that Patreon thing at home, uh, Patreon people get the podcast episodes a couple days early and bonus content. And at a certain level, if you want to have a Zoom meeting with us and we can talk about topics and we can talk about um, just the future of this podcast and just advocacy in general, um, you know, and you can share your stories with us. Uh, We put it on Patreon because we know that the people that really support the podcast and the mission will um yeah have the best advice for us i think <laughs> totally oh and hoodies too at a certain point which is oh yeah there's a certain <laughs> level where you get special merch that no one else will have so with that this is a production of figure podcasts go to figurepodcast.com with support from mode shift omaha become a member of mode shift omaha today go to modeshiftomaha.org Well, everyone, we'll see you next time. Or, you know, you'll hear us next time at least. (laughs) Talk to you later. Unless you support us on Patreon, then we'll see you at the next Zoom meeting. Indeed.